may not have a film fixation, but we're here for a noir education. Beebidi-boo, doot-doodle-doo, dee-ba-da-pow. And welcome to A Real Education Noir. This is Melissa, and this is my co-host. Wendy. And my other co-host. Allie. And the three of us are here to explore film noir. Films noir. <laughs> Films noir. <laughs> Film noir. So French. <laughs> so French. So we are here today to watch Key Largo. Yes. Yes. Because we have gone far too long on this podcast without... Hitting Humphrey Bogart territory. It's true. Yes. With, that's Lauren, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. And Lauren Bacall. So it is Bogie and Bacall. One of the classics of the noir genre. And we have not been there. And so it's time that we went. The, it's time that we went to Key Largo. So ladies, what do you know about Key Largo? I know nothing. <laughs> except that it's supposed to be great. I know that. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Bo- Bogie and Bacall. I know it's Bogie and Bacall. Mm-hmm. Is this... It's one of their first ones, right? It's their last one together. Oh, okay. Yes, there were there were four movies uh, that featured Bogart and Bacall: To Have and to Have Not, Dark Passage. Oh, I'm gonna blank. It's another great one, and then you know this. Uh, Key Largo. So this okay. was the fourth one. There was a fifth one planned, but uh, Bogart passed away. I know it takes place in Key Largo. That's a good guess. That's about. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna guess that that's probably correct. Either uh, that, or they're gonna talk about it a lot. Um, black and white. It is black and white. Okay, so uh, I mean, I can make lots of educated guesses, but the reality is, I've never seen it, and mm-hmm. it's been one of the great gaps in my film knowledge. So I'm super excited to finally get to see it. Yeah, don't feel bad because I only first saw this maybe a year ago. Okay, and and it is pretty fantastic. Um, there there are a lot of great things to love about this film, particularly the actors, because not only is it Bogart and McCall, you also have Edward G. Robinson Ooh. being all Edward G. Robinson. You've got uh, John Barrymore. One of the great Barrymores. The Barrymores. The Barrymore, you know, Mr. Potter himself from oh, yeah. It's a Wonderful Life. Um, You're like a spider. <laughs> <laughs> that was a terrible James, Jimmy Stewart. That was terrible Jimmy Stewart. Apologies. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's directed by John Huston. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah, um, I did know that. I'd forgotten yeah. that, but I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, there's a lot of Hollywood royalty in this movie. A lot of people who did incredible things in during their careers okay Mm -hmm. sexual tension i'm assuming oh yeah okay good yeah yeah it has to be yeah i mean anything with lauren bacall in it you know all the sexual magnetism is happening and okay well yeah yeah, i'd ask you for like some background on it because i know you've probably done your research but let's wait until after we watch the movie yes let's do that okay dear listeners please also find a copy of key largo and watch it and then we will discuss it and we will discuss it after the break yay Moaning low, my sweet man, I love him so. Though he's mean as can be, he's the kind of man, he's the kind of woman like me. So, Key Largo. I think I loved the supporting characters most of all. I mean, great. Lionel Barrymore is great, and obviously, mm-hmm. you know, Bogey but, and Bacall and Edward by the way, G. dear Robin- listeners, I think I said John Barrymore in the intro. It's Lionel Barrymore. At least I didn't say Ethel. <laughs> 
Because those three, those three were siblings, and they were all very famous actors in their day. So um, Lionel Barrymore, and it's Edward G. Robinson is the bad guy, and he is just yeah, see, yeah, see, yeah. chewing all over everything. <laughs> um, but it's actually like Gay Dawn. Oh my God! Yeah, best character. Yeah, Loved her. She, she's amazing. That is Claire Trevor in the the Oscar winning role in this movie. Oh, she won an she Oscar? She won an Oscar Good. for that role. <laughs> Good, because she was fantastic. For yeah. real. Um, and his main guy, uh, not Toots, the other one. Curly. Curly. Mm-hmm. Loved him. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but he was just like, that was a guy who just had a clearly fully inhabited role. Uh-huh. And Toots was kind Toots of hilarious. Mm-hmm. Right? Um Especially when he got seasick. I don't know why that just that tickled was, me. That was really funny. <laughs> I don't like, feel good. I feel bad. He's such an asshole. And he's just like, oh, I feel awful. I'm like, good. You should. You should feel awful. <laughs> John, director John Huston was very famous for doing very well by actors. He could direct actors like nobody else. Yeah. He, he is the one director who has directed his own father to an Oscar and his own daughter to an Oscar. Because oh. Walter Houston got an Oscar for uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, yep. for that, and then uh, Angelica Houston got uh, an Oscar for Pritzi's Honor, which John yep. Houston also directed. Uh-huh. So, but I mean, pretty much anybody that John Houston worked with just turned in great, roles. a great performance. And yeah. there, I mean, there's not to downplay Bogey and Bacall at all because they're doing great stuff all oh, over yeah. the place too. Um, and it's nice to see Mr. Potter, the evil villain, be very warm and kind of sweet and well i'm i'm just an old man and i've i've got ideas with my high waistline and my suspenders yeah very high waistline (laughs) seriously his pants are up to his armpits oh my god oh i I guess you know when you're endearing when when you're in a wheelchair it's really uncomfortable to you know have that waistline slump down on you so you just kind of got to keep it up there (laughs) he he kept pulling it up until it ended up at his shoulders (laughs) Ooh. Maybe it was going for overalls or something. Maybe it just. Well, I ju- I found myself just this not in a creepy way, but I kept noticing the fly on those pants and how long it was. Yeah, it was. That was it an was, enormous fly. It went from like seriously between. <laughs> oh my goodness, ladies! Is that what you were looking at? Oh, we were looking at a lot of things. Like <laughs> all the way down to where a fly would normally end. So it ended up being like an eighteen-inch fly. I swear to God, I'm just like that is an enormous zipper. We we should back up, and for people who did not watch the movie, we should do like the quick summary of what oh, we just. Yeah. So, um, Bogart uh, is playing a character who was a soldier in World War II, Mm -hmm. and he comes back home uh, to deliver the news that one of his friends in the war had died, and he he goes to visit his father and his wife in Key Largo. Yeah, the father and wife of the soldier who died. Right. He was the commanding officer of this young man, and... Uh, in the process of writing to them that he had died, he said, I will come visit. Yep. And and so he uh, lands in Key Largo where the father owns a hotel and finds that, um, you know, pretty much everybody has vacated for the summer because summer is hell in Florida. And uh, Yeah, it's the off season. It's the off season. And he finds that there are these 
kind of mysterious characters inhabiting the hotel. Shady characters. Shady characters led by Edward G. Robinson. And Although you don't know that for quite a while because yeah. they're very, very coy. He just stays up in his room and yeah, he wants you. Yeah, he wants a drink. And I mean, he's always just in the room and then all his like henchmen are lounging about in very thuggish ways. Yeah, they keep Edward G. Robinson's secret for at least half an hour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when they reveal him, he's like behind a fan so you can't see his face. And <laughs> and then suddenly it's Edward G. Robinson in the movie. Um, so, yeah, it's Edward G. Robinson and his gang of thugs and his alcoholic girlfriend. And a hurricane comes by and traps everybody in the hotel together. And it turns out that the thugs are there to uh, trade a uh, case of counterfeit bills for money just after the hurricane dies down. But, you know, in in the process, you know, the, the good guys are just trapped in the hotel with all the bad guys. And it's all this. There's a lot of tension, tension and... And what drama. are you willing to do to try to take me out? Yeah, see, I'm the bad guy. Yeah, see. Mm-hmm. And he's taunting them, but they know that if they play it cool, he'll leave and they'll be fine. But it's really hard to play it cool with somebody who's needling you and doing horrible things. And then he's like killing, he's killing people. And mm-hmm. you're like, oh my God. And then at the end, the deal finally goes down. And he's like, okay, we need a, we need a boat to take us back to Havana. Because the boat he came on took off because of the hurricane to save itself. Yep. And he's and his I love his henchman is like, maybe he'll come back. And he's like, no, I told him he'd kill I'd kill him if he left and he believed me, so there's no way he's coming back. And so there's that lovely little moment of you can see Edward G. Robbins is like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't have threatened him so hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you but, think uh, I shot myself in the foot on this one? <laughs> I might have. I might have done that. <laughs> that might not have been a good idea. So he's like, you know your way around a boat. You, Mr. Humphrey Bogart, Mr. Frank McLeod. So you're going to take that boat out there, that fishing boat, and take us to Cuba. And, and of course, you know, Bogey's all like, uh, don't want to. And they're mm-hmm. like, well, we'll make you want to by torturing you. So then that they're like, this is what's going to happen. And then they have to go do a thing. And he's in the room with Gay Dawn, the gangster's girlfriend. She's like, fella, fella, he's going to kill you. He's going to kill you if you go with him. You got to make a break for it. When you go, when they, you start to go out to the boat, you got to run for it. You got to make a run for it. And he's like, but there's this whole thing of he's got to do what's right because mm-hmm. he didn't do what's right, but maybe he should do what's right and all about whether you're a hero or not. And and there's Lauren Bacall looking at him with those, those sultry eyes and you just know he's going to do it. Mm-hmm. So in what is... <laughs> this is stretching out longer and longer. Yeah, sorry. But it, it's a great moment. Oh, the moment where uh, Edward G. Robinson, Rocco, is like, okay, it's time to go. And the drunk girlfriend's all, but you didn't bring down my bags. And he's like, yeah, you're staying here because you're worthless. And then this she... This is the best. Mm-hmm. She freaks out. And there's part of you going, no, you, she, you're clearly unhappy with him. Why are you so worried he's leaving you behind? But she throws himself herself on him and she's wailing and no, no, no. Don't leave me. I love you. And she's... Getting the man's gun because yep. she's a fucking him. boss. Yes. He pushes her away. She falls onto Humphrey Bogart and then slips him the gun. Mm-hmm. There you go. Oh, dear. I'm so sad. So they go out to the <laughs> they go out to the boat. Humphrey Bogart takes him out about two hours or so, about halfway there. And then once everything's sort of quieted down and everybody's sort of settled down, 
Humphrey Bogart starts killing bitches. Yep. It starts <laughs> dispatching with bad men. <laughs> yes. And he kills them all. And then, but he does get shot, but he's okay. So then he radios in. And Lauren Bacall's all like, he's okay. He's coming back to us. The, and, it, and then the, the sun end. comes out and it's beautiful and it's yeah, wonderful. It is. It is. So, yeah. It's pretty fabulous. It is a very fun movie. And, so many amazing shots. And Humphrey film. Bogart does not die. That was no. what I was most concerned about. It was mm-hmm. going to be one of those where he sacrifices himself for the better good of everyone, which would have been in keeping with the theme. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't actually know if he's going to live or die. So I was very happy that he did not die. That's what I was referring to with the whole, I was worried it was not going to be satisfactory. Yes. <laughs> I was, I was <laughs> would have made me unhappy, mm-hmm. but instead it was very satisfying. And so I am glad. I kept waiting for him to slump over in the boat and just have the boat rolling like, shore with yeah. nobody left alive. Just, just, <laughs> just doing circles. circles. Yeah. Because <laughs> no, he, he had the two things that were holding it on course. So I was picturing it like just going right up onto the beach. Yeah. And mm-hmm. continuing on sort of into the porch a little bit. Gronk. <laughs> that would happen in the cynical 70 version remake. Yeah. Yes. 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 So, Yeah. Th- it's a bit of all right. I do like this movie. Oh, quite it's a bit. so good! It I can good see ending. why people the, like it. The screenplay is really nice and snappy, and uh, the screenplay was actually done by John Huston and um, a gentleman named Richard Brooks. Richard Brooks being a director himself and also a screenwriter. Huh. Uh, Richard Brooks is the guy who directed Cat on a Hot Tin Roof oh, and wow. In Cold Blood and Elmer Gantry. Oh, and he also wrote those movies. Okay, and, and Blackboard Jungle and. So, you know, him combined with John Huston, you know, the guy who directed Maltese Falcon and Treasure of the Sierra Madre, you know, between these two, we have some of the greatest movies ever made just conspiring to make Key Largo. What's interesting is you think it would be a gangster movie, Mm -hmm. but it's not. It's really just a character drama. Oh, it is. It is. It's just a bunch of people trapped in a room for several hours with you know very cross purposes going on mm-hmm. and so yeah it's it's more of a no exit hostage situation than it is any kind of crime thriller or gangster film so it's really interesting oh yeah yeah i'm always in love with movies that make use of a confined space and draw all that drama from the confined space. And like most of this film is inside that hotel. Oh, yeah. And it's just mm-hmm. a couple of rooms and that's it. The Love tension that stuff. is so great. Yeah. Very yeah. tense. And it, oh, such great performances. Claire Trevor, um, like I said, won an Oscar for her role. And it's, I mean, this is back in the days when people were just starting to get a handle on alcoholism. And, um, you just started getting stuff like Lost Weekend and, you know, they're trying to, to grapple with what alcoholism really was. And you can you can see using alcoholism as a disease that she was dealing with mm-hmm. in this movie. You know, the I need a drink. You know, she's got the she's got the shakes. You know, she's not in her own head because they even say yeah. and I actually believe him when he says it. And it's not just. A story that you know she she hallucinates mm-hmm. she gets to the point of like the the dts and the only thing that brings her out of it is a, a sharp slap of yeah. course yeah but you know this is a woman not doing well she mm-hmm. is on the far edge of alcoholism the the famous scene with her singing the song a cappella 
uh, was actually an example of method acting because um, John Huston decided to kind of use this where he he did not tell her she was performing that scene that day. She had not rehearsed it. She she had not rehearsed the song. She was surrounded by actors who were much more famous than she was. So she was really nervous about the scene. And so Houston made her basically do that scene off the cuff and do that song. And so he got that really nervous, unsure performance out of her. Oh, and it's yeah. so good. That's so a great. that's a highlight of that's, the film is that yeah. scene. Yeah, that's probably my favorite scene in the film is yeah. Be- between that and her flinging herself at Edward Jean Robinson yes. at the end, I love you. I love it. Oh, here's your gun. Yeah, <laughs> just gonna take this. <laughs> Shh. It's fine. Just go. Also, Lionel Barrymore. Um, we were talking about this while we were wa- watching the movie. Um, Lionel Barrymore had something like 220 acting credits to his name. He started working in movies in 1908. Oh, God. And uh, went through to 1956. This was 1948, so this was pretty much the tail end of his career. In 1938, he was confined to a wheelchair with um, with um, arthritis. So, you know, clearly in the movie, you see him in the wheelchair, and, you know, it's a wonderful life. You see him in a wheelchair, and pretty much any role you see him in after 1938, he's in a wheelchair. He was such a great actor that screenwriters were willing to write around him so he'd be in the movie. So you'd always see him in wheelchairs. And, um... Well, and it adds a a really nice touch to things. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and so when you see him clambering up out of the wheelchair to take a swing at Edward G. Robinson, that was... That was the real deal. Yeah, that's yeah. really him struggling to get up. Yeah. Well, and once you said arthritis, I noticed his fingers. Yeah, are very slightly gnarled. twisted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, but but it adds a nice touch. It adds, especially in this movie where you know they're so confined and so trapped, and part of how they're trapped is that they have this older this old man yeah. who's in a wheelchair who needs to be taken care of. And there's the point where he, after he tries to take a swing and he falls down on the floor and it makes Lauren Bacall so mad that she flies at Edward G. Robinson to start quote unquote hitting him. It's not, it's, it's not very done, but convincing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I don't know what the deal was there. I'm, I'm a little, dis- well, I'm a little I, I, disappointed I think... in Lauren and also in John Houston for not getting a better performance yes. out of her there. I, I, I suspect she didn't want to hurt Edward G. Robinson. <laughs> I think that may have been it. Edward G. Robinson, by all accounts, was just the nicest man. He was very sweet. He was very cultured. He had this huge art collection and everybody loved him. And yet he played all these hard-boiled gangster villains on screen. So yeah, so I mean, that's... Here's, here, here's Lauren Bacall, who was like 23 at the time, and you know, with this very sweet man that she's working with. And so she flies at him in a yeah. rage and she comes up and she's like, eh, eh, eh. Maybe scratchy a little. Eh, and then she's like, I'm here to scratch your face, pet. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it then was really you can Edward G. Robinson, but Edward G. Robinson still sells it. And he grabs her and then he kisses her. And she just got this look on her face like, um, shock. My. <laughs> the, the whole sequence is just so not good. And I'm like, oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, that, that one didn't work. That, that, one didn't that work. did not land. <laughs> no. I'm just really surprised that Edward, that John Huston couldn't either get it fixed or reshoot it or stage it in some way to where it didn't look yeah. quite that bad. 
Yeah. But I that's don't know the only that's the only sour note in the whole mm-hmm. movie. Um Lauren Bacall, this was really early in her career. Um Lauren Bacall uh, started out as a model and then um she was actually spotted in Harper's Bazaar, I think it was, by Howard Hawks's wife. Slim. Her name was Slim. Uh, <laughs> she she basically uh, took the ma- magazine to Hard Hawks, who was casting to have and to have not, and and said, "Hey, look at this girl. You should have her screen test." So they brought her in. She did this great screen test, and they cast her into have and to have not against Bogart. Yeah. So that was her first movie, and this was four years later. So first movie. To have and to have not with Bogart, who she eventually marries and then was married to until mm-hmm. 1957 when he passed away. And, you know, one of the the great, quote, love stories of Hollywood in that era. And she was so like ni- lovely. She was 19 at the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a May-December romance, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. but she clearly was into it. So, oh, you yeah. know, it was totally consensual. And oh, you yeah. have to, I mean, honestly, he's not really my type, but Bogart had charisma to spare. Oh, he mm-hmm. did. He did. And there's that great scene in Key Largo when he jumps across on the boat mm-hmm. and he's tying the lines and throwing her. And you, she gets this look on her face like... Oh, I like a man who's competent. Ooh, Ooh. he can tie a knot. Ooh. Ooh. He, <laughs> man has skills. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, you know, pulls the rope and pulls the boat in towards her. And it's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There it is. There yeah. it's happening. Oh. And she's looking at him like, hi. <laughs> you do things well. Mm-hmm. I like a man who does things well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm gonna yeah. put that on my my requirements. Okay, <laughs> Cupid must do things well. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Bacall had a hell of a career. I mean, because she started in 1944, she was still working pretty much up to her death, which was last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, she yeah. would appear every every once in a while in a movie. Yeah, yeah. She was doing voices mm-hmm. on Family Guy and stuff. <laughs> she was amazing. <laughs> um, her grandchildren used to live next door in an apartment building to, I think it was my current stepfather. And I'm trying to remember, he has some sort of connection to the apartment that was next door to her grandchildren. So every once in a while for family engagements, you know, she'd show up and, like grandma Lauren would show up. and Oh, neat. Yeah. <laughs> she seemed very down to earth. Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, after uh, Bogart passed away, she uh, married Jason Robards, and they were married for ages and ages. And, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. And she uh, she lived in the Dakota uh, when John Lennon was living there. She actually heard the gunshot. Oh. Uh, of the, you know, she, she just has this long and storied life. She named the Rat Pack. Did you know that? Did oh, I didn't really? know that. Yeah. So uh, originally the Rat Pack, um, you know, famous for Frank Sinatra and his friends, actually centered around Bogart because Bogart had all these friends who liked to drink and they were hanging around one one time and, and um, Lauren Bacall came by. It's like, you guys look like a Rat Pack. And the name stuck. <laughs> nice. So after Bogart passed away, Sinatra kind of inherited the core position in that group. So that's kind of how all that happened. I don't know how much this is a noir, though. I mean, it's got it's got the gangster thing. Mm-hmm. It's got Edward G. Robinson not coming to a good end. But 
there's more of a central hero mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. in the Humphrey Bogart. I mean, he, yeah, he he is very much a more standard hero role. Although he's he does have for most of the movie the I'm protecting me and mine. I mean, yeah, it, I'm. I I don't want to be a hero. Yeah, he mm-hmm. he doesn't want to step in. He doesn't want to get killed. He's just kind of. Except he does constantly throughout. It's sort of the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead of noir films because I feel like the gay Don and Johnny Rocco relationship and character, like... That's where the film noir is That's the film noir that's happening, only we're looking at it from the side Mm -hmm. because we're focused on it from this perspective, looking in on it from Mm -hmm. outside through the eyes of Frank McCloud and Nora. Her character's right. name is Nora. So, yeah, because that is definitely your your more classic gangster noir happening there. How is it? I don't know. Um, it's been a while since we've gone through film noir, like, criteria. Like, mm-hmm. how does this match up? Well, it's definitely made during the film noir era with a lot of the, the standard people who were making films noir of the time. Um, it definitely is incorporating a lot of the tropes of film noir. It It's not, you know, down the middle of the strike zone, but it is definitely one of the movies that is normally encapsulated in. Oh, yeah. In When you're listing off films noir, this often it gets, shows up. Yeah, it, it should be mentioned. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot, still a lot there that's going on, but... And and I, I think it, it a lot of times it gets lumped in because it's it's in those four movies that Bogart and Bacall did. Ah. And the other three are like The Big Sleep and Dark Passage and To Have and To Have Not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That would make sense. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Any uh, final thoughts? Allie? <laughs> <laughs> Caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> Dear listeners, it's a Saturday afternoon and we're all, we've all had some pizza and I'm we've s- had some wine yeah. and... We're pretty relaxed at the moment. Yeah, it's super great. I just want to write a love letter to Gay Dawn. That's that's yeah. what I want to do. Yeah. She was the best part of this movie for me. Claire Trevor we're going to see again and you know when we finally get around to Murder My Sweet because she also plays against Bogart in that one. Ooh, yeah. I'm excited for that. Yeah. We might have to move that one up a little. <laughs> I, I found myself fascinated that if you look at Lauren Bacall's shirt, it is unbuttoned all the way down. Oh, yeah. Like, Pretty much, yeah. Like, way below where her bra would be. But because it's one of those crisp cotton mm-hmm. shirts, mm-hmm. right? And with the with the collar on it. So nothing shows, but I just found... And there are buttons there that could be buttoned. And I'm just like... Yeah, at first I thought This it... was a deliberate choice to have it oh, yeah. unbuttoned way down... What what is being communicated here? It's what? so hot. It's it's got to be breezy, you know. Yeah. You're in the middle of summer in Florida. <laughs> yeah. At first, I thought it was gapping in one shot, and I'm like, oh no, she just does not have any buttons done. All right, awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's so thin. But this was back when they put pockets in skirts. Yeah. Oh, can yeah. we please get back to that? Because she constantly is standing around with her hand in her pockets and she looks so classy. Whoa. I, I feel like this is the point where I point out that my dress has pockets in it. Your yes. dress does have pockets. Yes. <laughs> you are the height of fashion. Darn right I am. <laughs> pockets! <laughs> and so Edward G. Robinson is doing all of his, all of the classic gangster like 
um, tropes with the he because he's oh, he's yeah. doing the chopping yeah. the cigar. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, see, yeah, yeah. see, see. see. I mean, because he originated those tropes, man. Because and you're like, oh my god, this is exactly what's happening. Yeah, see, oh my god, he totally did that. <laughs> I did like totally watching does. the birth of the tropes in this film and like. <laughs> Him doing that, and then the the whole oh we're all trapped together in this one space and we can't escape. I'm like I know I've seen like an episode of Psych where this exact same thing happens. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful to watch. <sighs> so yeah, Key Largo. There is so much to love about that film. Mm-hmm. You if you haven't seen it, you totally need, watch there the is movie. no reason. To, I mean, I can't. And it goes with anything. I mean, it really does. Whatever mood you're in, this movie will be probably really good for you mm-hmm. yes it's good stuff it's i give good it a thumbs stuff. up yeah All right i give it that i'm a fan i'm a fan so dear listeners we're gonna wrap this one up and next time we post we will be watching brick we're going to bring it into the modern era and look at something that has watch a neo-noir watch a neo-noir with brick brick <laughs> yay! yay get your gordon joseph levitt on so uh, this was melissa and wendy and Allie, and we will see you next time we hope you enjoy our film fixation we'll see you next time on a noir education thank you for joining us for a real education Noir. New episodes arrive on the 7th and 21st of every month. Please visit our website at r-e-e-l-e-d-u-n-o-i-r dot com. Once there, you can comment on our episodes, as well as find links to our feeds on iTunes, Twitter, and Facebook. Special thanks to Tim Wick, Jeffrey Brown, and Chad Dutton for our theme music. If you like our show, you might also like our parent podcast, A Real Education, which discusses all genres of film. You can find it on the web at r-e-e-l-e-d-u dot com. Thank you for listening. Until next time. How many of those guys in office owe everything to me? I made them. Yeah, I made them just like a, like a tailor makes a suit of clothes.